Father, we ask that you just bless this time to study of your word. And Lord, again, um, as we uh, just pray for the kids up in, in Montana, we pray for your blessing upon them and that they would finish strong this week. And Lord, I also ask that, um, that you would just be with us here tonight at this time. And I thank you for all those who are willing to come out at the end of a day, at the end of work day, and, and uh, perhaps some have come in and not even had dinner. And uh, Lord, we want to feed upon the word, upon you, uh, the bread of life. Uh, so Father, I pray that we would be satisfied and fulfilled and benefited that we would see your goodness and how you want to bless our lives, that, Lord, that you would help us increase in wisdom and uh, how we need you working that in our lives as well. And so, Lord, uh, I thank you that we can be in your word, and uh, I pray that you touch our hearts with it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. One of the things before we get into our study that thank you for praying for the high school group uh, that is up in Montana and the Indian Reservation. We got 17 high schoolers that are up there as well as Luke and Ashley and and some other adults are are with them as well. And uh, they're doing well and uh, everything's gone fine as far as uh, I know. Uh, My kids called me last night at 1030. I said, it's 1030. And they lost track of time, of course, and forgot that I go to bed at nine o'clock. But they're doing fine as far as uh, as what they tell me and they're doing well. And uh, they'll be coming back, I believe, Sunday afternoon. They're going to do services there. Uh, at the church that they're at, and then they'll be leaving and coming in on Sunday evenings, about a nine-hour drive uh, with stops and everything. So uh, be praying for them. We're looking forward to them coming back and uh, looking forward to hearing a good report from them. So Proverbs chapter 2, as we started last week in the book of Proverbs, uh, of course, this is a book of wisdom. And it is Paul the Apostle, when he was writing to the church at Colossae, uh, that he would say to them, that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And as we began the book of Proverbs, we discussed that there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge as we gain godly knowledge, going through the word of God, that we know who God is. He reveals himself to us. His plan of salvation, how it is that we are to live, what pleases him, his promises given to us. And so we can increase in godly knowledge as we read the word of God. But it doesn't mean just because we know the word of God that we are walking in wisdom. Because wisdom is having it worked out in your life. And that's so very important for us to understand. Because what we will see, the phrase here in the book of Proverbs says, hear me, son, or uh, pay attention. We see that phraseology, which is similar as you go to the New Testament. Actually, we're going to see it this Sunday as Jesus is going to be teaching the multitudes uh, this sermon, the Beatitudes, and, and how it is that we are to live, a new way of living. And he will say, those of you who hear, I say to you. And whenever Jesus says that, or the New Testament, we read, take heed, uh, you know, let the churches hear what the Spirit says to the churches, um, that we are to pay attention. We are to not only know it, but have it worked out in our lives. And we are to have it applied in our lives, desiring to walk in the ways of the Lord. And that's what wisdom is. And we know that there's a difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. And we need to understand that because worldly wisdom will flow you know, right in the face of godly wisdom, will contradict it, and they're on completely two different paths. You see, here we've already seen, and we're going to continue to see, that Solomon, who is the human instrument writing uh, this wisdom down for us, of course, inspired by the Spirit of God, and Solomon was known for his wisdom. You recall in First Kings uh, and in Second Chronicles, when Solomon first began to reign as king, he was the son of David, and, and the kingdom was in its greatest prosperity and peace and power. And the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, what should I give you, Solomon? And Solomon said that I'm young. I don't know my going in, my going out. This is a great people, a great responsibility that you've given me 
to do here in ministering uh, in this nation and leading and shepherding this nation. And I need your wisdom. And God was pleased with that. So Solomon, as you know, was known for his wisdom. There are those who came from all around Israel seeking out his wisdom. But here's the interesting thing. Even though Solomon was known for his great wisdom, he didn't always walk in that wisdom because at the end of his life, what happens to Solomon is he begins to to burn incense to false gods and build altars to them because of the foreign wives that he had, a thousand wives and concubines. So Solomon, even though he was known for wisdom and God was pleased and he started out well, he didn't finish well. In other words, that he would introduce idol worship to the nation and that would seriously affect his son, Rehoboam, in, in the decisions that he made and his spiritual life. And it would affect the nation most definitely in a very negative way. And what what we're going to see here is Solomon, he's going to use that phraseology, my son. It's like a father talking to a son. And as we go through this, remember that it's the heavenly father who's speaking to us because this is all inspired by God. How it is that you and I can walk in godly wisdom, not just knowing what the word of God says, but having it in our heart and having it worked out in our lives. And it's so important that we walk in godly wisdom today because there's a lot of voices that are out there that will try to pull us away from, you know, what God has for us in our lives. And as we went through chapter one, we've already saw that there is the importance of wisdom that was told to us. And then there was the invitation given to wisdom. And, and again, there's, there's the world's path and there's godly path. Um, there's different paths that we can take in life. And, and Solomon's already beginning to, to talk about that. And we'll see that in chapter one, he said that don't be enticing to those who who sin, those who do evil, and, and don't walk in the way of them. Keep your foot from their path. And we're going to see that he's going to continue to say that as we go into chapter 2 and into chapter 3. You know, it's true for our salvation. When it comes to our salvation, Jesus said that narrow is the way or narrow is the path that leads to life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. So we know that eternal life comes through Jesus Christ alone. And you see, the world more and more is going to scream at you and I that there are many paths to God. And we know that the truth of God's word declares that there is one way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And we all, you know, know that Jesus would claim that he is the way to heaven and that he is the only way to forgiveness of sin. He's the only one that died for our sins, the only one that rose from the grave, and he's the only one that can provide forgiveness and right relationship with the Father and provide eternal life for you and for me. It's through Jesus Christ alone. And you see, the world is going to scream at you and I, there are many paths to God. There are many paths to eternal life. And we need to proclaim and stand on that truth. It was interesting. I, you know, was watching a little bit of news. I, I like to sometimes take a little break from my study and, and online. And I believe it was on Monday uh, that uh, I turned on one of the news stations just to check out how the status of the fire was up in Boulder because I got a cousin that lives up in that area. And uh, it was windy and I was wondering, I wonder if it spread. But instead of having the news, what they had was uh, a live, um, you know, broadcast there online that they were showing of the state of the city and they had uh, at DIA and the mayor and the city council and all that and they had one of the uh, pastors go up and give the invocation and reverend so-and-so and, and I can't remember who it was but I remember listening to it and he started his prayer by saying God who's known by many names and, and that's very common in the public setting today of chaplains or of pastors that give an invocation in a public setting. God who's known by many names and then just going on, we're all the children of God. And we know that God's word doesn't say that, that God's word is very clear. There's one true God and Jesus is the way to the Father. And so we need to be ones that we are believing that, we are sharing that, and we are standing on that. So there's one path to heaven. But also, listen, Christians, we need to understand 
that there's also a path to abundant life. I've come to give you life and life abundantly. And the Lord desires to bless our lives. He desires for us to experience the abundant life that he has for us. And he desires for us to benefit from knowing his wisdom. And it is by walking in his ways. And what can happen is as we begin to hear the voices of the world that contradict the way that God wants us to live. And we are under that pressure, aren't we? From culture and from society to compromise, to sin, to to uh, walk contrary to the way God wants us because that's what's going to make you happy. Understand this, that it's deception and it's darkness and there's going to be consequences and there's going to be hurt. And that's one of the things that's going to be told to us as we go through the book of Proverbs. We end at chapter 1 with Solomon saying that knowing God's wisdom, and that is the implication again that we're walking in it, that as we keep it in our lives and desiring to please him with our lives, that there's safety and there's security in that, and there truly is. And there's going to be peace and there's going to be comfort that we're going to see as we continue on. So let's look at chapter 2 of Proverbs as we read, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, remember that it is uh, Paul that said to the church at Colossae, which is a word for us, in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And what we're going to see here in this chapter is the value of wisdom. Wisdom is so valuable for you and for me. And I hope that we really understand that. So that you incline, verse 2, he continues writing, your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. Verse 4, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And so this is a charge to listen to God's wisdom. Now, there's, again, a lot of information that is out there, and I'm just like you. I, I listen to certain new newscasts. I um, get updated on certain things. But there's so much that is out there, uh, information, not only newscasts, but talk radio, talk TV, uh, social media, all kinds of websites, isn't there? And we can spend all day and a lot of time, hours and hours and hours, of looking at that and reading it and, and listening to the experts, uh, you know, on the political scene and on the national scene and the world scene and what's going on and, and all kinds of voices that are out there, the talking heads, that's what I call them, that, you know, are, are so-called experts on everything. And what can happen is, is we hear their opinion and we hear their ideas and what's going on here and their take on that. And we can become confused or we wonder or we can get worked up very easily. And my point is this, that if we are spending so much time listening to the voices of the world, uh, things on TV and, and on our computers and social media, listen, we spend so little time in God's word. And I was thinking about that. In comparison, I can spend a lot of time researching and listening to this and watching news and things like that. But I want to be careful that I want to make sure that I'm spending time in God's word because God's word is sure. You know, culture comes along society and, and the latest fads and trends and philosophies change constantly. And in that address that Paul has given to the church at Colossae, when he says in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that he also goes on to say, to that church and to us, that beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So we can get cheated because we're just listening to the world's philosophy and the latest trends, which change all the time, the latest fads, the latest philosophy, which changes um, how it is, you know, that we are to live and what's acceptable and, and, and what is, you know, good. And we see a society and a culture that is saying, uh, according to God's word, that what God calls evil is that what culture is calling good. And again, the pressure for us to accept that. And I think what can happen is, is that we begin to, you know, just kind of uh, begin to accept it very subtly because society is accepting it. But here this, Solomon is saying, and God's word is telling us, that we need to make sure that we listen to God's wisdom that is very, very valuable, that it is a treasure to us.
And he goes on to write in verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth came knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and he is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths, again that word paths of justice, and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity in every good path. And so wisdom, true wisdom, comes from God. It doesn't come from the world. And we need to be diligent to seek that out. When Paul was writing to Timothy, some of the last words, and Paul in his, in his pastoral epistles, First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus, but he would emphasize knowing the word of God. There's some 25 times that alone in 1 Timothy that he says, Timothy, you need to be about the word of God, know the word of God, you know, continue in sound doctrine. He emphasizes that. And then as he writes 2 Timothy, which is the last epistle that we have of Paul in the New Testament, he really emphasizes it once again. And he says to Timothy that you be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so it's very important that you and I, that we be diligent to present ourselves, approve to God, a work, worker who does not need to, you know, be, uh, be ashamed, uh, but rightly dividing the word of truth. And that takes discipline in Bible study. I like what Warren Worsby says concerning this chapter. He says, obtaining spiritual wisdom isn't uh, a once a week hobby, but is a daily discipline of a lifetime. And I just want to encourage all of us, and me included, read your Bibles every single day. If you're just taking in some Bible study once a week, if you're taking in Bible study once every couple weeks, or I'll drop in the church every once in a while and get a Bible study, or, or listen to a Bible study you know, uh, at some time on TV or whatever, uh, we need to be ones uh, that are diligent in reading the Bible every single day. And that's the way to growth and maturity. There's no other shortcut. Being diligent and, and, and being disciplined. We talked about on Sunday as Jesus chose his 12 apostles, his 12 disciples. And that word disciple means disciplined one. It literally means a learner and a student. And they would learn from Jesus. And then they would be used of Jesus uh, as he would send them out. And you and I, if we want to be used in the best sense, for the kingdom of God, we must be ones that are disciplined. We need to know the word of God, especially in the day in which we're living in. Because, again, there's a lot of deception and darkness that is out there that will pull us away from truth. So be one that is learning the word of God, continuing to do that on a consistent basis and on a daily basis, um, and doing it for all of our lives. Uh, one of the things that I'll answer the question is the Sermon on the Mount in the Sermon on the Plateau, um, the same sermon, uh, it's probably uh, two different teachings that Jesus gave. In Matthew's narrative, on the Sermon on the Mount, he was on a mountain. Here in Luke's gospel, he's on a level place. So that's why commentators call it the Sermon on the Plateau. And, and it's very similar, in some cases, almost word for word. Now, the Matthew account is three chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7, and Luke's account is only a half a chapter. But what it tells me is, is that Jesus probably gave the same sermon more than once, that he would give that same teaching more than once. And, and that encourages me, because I can give the same truths over and over as I disciple others, as I teach others, and so can you, parents, to your children or to those that you're ministering to, that we are to continue to learn and be a learner, and we need to hear truth over and over again. I pray that we never get to the point of, oh, you know, I've read the Bible before, or I went to Bible study, or I know the Sermon on the Mount, or I've read the book of Proverbs. I can read the book of Proverbs a hundred times, and I'm still learning it. I'm still going through it. I'm still trying to take in. So we can never exhaust what the Word of God has to say, always continuing in it. And then in verse 10, when wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you, to deliver you from the way of evil and from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, and whose ways are crooked and who are devious, 
in their paths. And so, again, we need God's wisdom or we're going to be pulled into that which is going to hurt us, which is false, into that which is evil, which that which is not pleasing to the Lord. We'll be pulled in so many different directions. We need to let the word of God be the one that directs our paths. Just as we saw in Psalm 119, uh, verse 105, the longest chapter in the Bible that emphasizes God's word. And in Psalm 119, verse 105, we're told that uh, God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And isn't that the wonderful thing about being a Christian and knowing the word of God and continuing to grow in the word of God? We don't have to walk in darkness. We have the light that goes, you know, before us because we've been brought out of the darkness, as Peter writes in his epistle, and brought into his marvelous light. We don't have to walk down the path that will lead us to destruction or lead us into that which is evil. We don't have to be confused. Ah, it's wonderful to have God's word. And as you grow in it, that will help you to live a life that is pleasing to him and a life that will bring you that abundant life. We don't have to go through life confused. We don't have to go through life wondering. Uh, We can really have the answers as we go through Proverbs. This book alone is going to show us how it is that we are to speak, how it is that we are to relate to others, uh, how we deal with others. Uh, Just great wisdom that is given to us. And that's the wonderful thing I love about the Bible. It tells us how to live. It has the answers to every area of our lives. And we know that the Lord is going to help us in those very specific and, and very detailed, you know, decisions that we have to make. But, you know, if we have to make decisions about, you know, what job to take or do, you know, I do this thing. And the Lord, by his Holy Spirit, desires to speak to our hearts and it will never contradict what the word of God has to say. So here. It's good to know God's wisdom uh, so we can uh, walk in light and not have to walk uh, in evil or in darkness. And then in verse 16, to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house leads down to death and her past to the dead. In verse 19, none who go to her return, nor do they regain the path of life. And so here, we don't have to live an immoral life. And I think that it's very important, listen, to us as Christians, that we need to understand that God has called us to live in purity. And I think sometimes that isn't emphasized in the church, in the culture, again, in society, that tells us that it's okay to live an immoral life, that, that it's okay to, to live in a sinful lifestyle. And we're going to talk more specifically about it as we get to chapters 5, 6, and 7, as we're going to see that Solomon's going to be talking to his son how to keep from being enticed and seduced by the immoral woman, the, by adultery and immorality. Paul, when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, he said that this is the will of God, that you abstain from, from sexual immorality. And the Lord desires for us to live in purity because he doesn't want us to get hurt. And he desires for us, again, to live that life of peace and that life of, of just um, you know, calmness and, and to experience his goodness. He wants the very best for us. And so he doesn't want us to live a life that's going to bring hurt. And that's what here, that the, the poetic language that is used here is telling us that her house leads down to death and her past to the dead. So many people have been hurt so badly because of immorality. And that's what it will lead to. It leads to pain. It leads to hurt. And the Lord again desires for us to live a life of blessing. In verse 20, so you may walk in the way of goodness and keep to the paths of righteousness. For the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. You know, one of the lies of Satan is, is that if you pursue immorality or your own ways, that, you know, go out and experience the world. Uh, go out and just live in the world a little bit. Experience the world. And the deception is there that you're going to be satisfied and you're going to be pleased and it's going to be great and you're going to have freedom, free to do what you want to do. But it is great deception. And I hope that we're understanding that more and more as we grow in the Lord, that as we live for him in the highway of holiness and the pathway of holiness, that's where true freedom comes. 
And that's where true blessing comes. And, and you see, it's the higher way of living. And that's why it's the Lord that says, I don't want you to go down that path of sin or immorality. And he calls us to live for him. And listen, we can struggle, all of us. We can be tempted in certain areas. And, and that's very real because we're flesh and bone. And the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. But the promise of Galatians is this, that as we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. We need to stay close to Him, and we need to continue to depend on Him because God wants us to live that life of purity and holiness, which will end up blessing us. And I guarantee that if you live for the Lord and desire to live in obedience, He's going to bless you. But if you live for the world and you're going to buy into the world's ways of just live any way that you want, It's going to bring hurt and pain eventually, and it will bring you into bondage. Sin and carnality will lead to bondage, and the Lord wants you to be free and to know him and to live in his love. And and I hope and pray that we're understanding that more and more as we grow in the Lord. The enemy and the world will deceive us into thinking that you just live any way that you want. And unfortunately, I hear more Christians that say that's what we're going to do. We're going to live any way that we want. And this is what God wants us to do when it's in a direct violation and contradiction to the way that God wants you to live. And so as we again hear the word of God and as we hear and as we read the commandments of the Lord to live in purity, to live for him, to live in righteousness, um, to have a clean heart. Remember David said that, Lord, create in me a clean heart. That's what I want. Lord, oh, please, that I want to be like David that said, search me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And the Lord will show us and he'll enable us. And we will have, you know, that peace that passes understanding, that joy inexpressible. And yes, we can struggle with certain things, but he's going to continue and work in you. And you're going to experience true satisfaction and fulfillment. Do we really believe that? Don't fall into the deception of the world and the enemy that likes to dangle a carrot and say, live this way. Because it will just lead to deception and pain and hurt in your life. And it's a loving father that says, I don't want you to be involved in sin. And every expression, as I've said this before, of his commandments given to us, every commandment is an expression of his love. For this is the love of God, that you keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And always keep in mind that the Lord, when he tells us to live in purity, to live a clean life, to don't be involved in sexual immorality, that he's telling us that because he wants the very best for us, and he does love us. And it's not to be burdensome to you and to me. In other words, don't think that God is just being a killjoy. So you can just spend your life being lonely and miserable and, and you know, um, it's dull and mundane. No. Live for Christ. It's exciting. And it's wonderful. And it's the best way to live. And it's a way to be free. And it's a way to just be on that right path that he has for you and for me. So here he, he continues in, in verse 20 talking about that. So you may walk in the way of goodness and keep the paths of righteousness. And, and for the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. So God wants us to, to walk down the right path. And as we receive God's word, remember the chapter started out, the beginning, that that's what we're to do. Then we walk down the right path and not the wrong path. And you will have the abundant life that Jesus has for you. In chapter 3, my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. In verse 3, let not mercy and truth forsake you. And bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. So chapter 3, wisdom will direct your path. And again, as I've said this, but it's very important, what you do with your heart will determine how you live your life. What you do with your heart, because what's in your heart is going to be worked out in your life. 
what you do with your heart is going to determine what path you're going to take. And that's one of the reasons why the scripture is emphasizing loving the Lord. In the book of Deuteronomy, a lot of people don't like the book of Deuteronomy because it's law, law, law. But as you read the book of Deuteronomy, you see that there's a close link between loving the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And then doing what the Lord asks us to do. And throughout the book of Deuteronomy, even in that heavy book, you see that there's an emphasis that you're to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It was the scribe that came to Jesus and said, what must I do, you know, to to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, keep the commandments, you know. And, and he, he would go on and say, well, I've done that. But nobody's kept all the commandments. But there was another one that said, what is the greatest commandment? And, and Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think it was the scribe that actually answered that. Jesus confirmed it. And then the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the greatest commandment for you and for me is to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And again, I hope and pray that we're understanding that you will do more in love than you ever can in your own strength or trying to grit your teeth or trying to muster it up in your own strength to live for the Lord. Here's what I desire for all of us to know. Just love the Lord. Know him. And as you know him, you can't help but love him more. And then Paul the Apostle comes along and he says, listen, the law can be summed up in one word. And what is it? Love, isn't it? Because if you have love for the Lord, it's going to be worked out in your life. You see, Christianity, I was talking with uh, somebody uh, before service, isn't just about religion and rules and regulations. It's about relationship. It's about becoming a new creature in Christ, a new person. And we live in that newness of love of life, and we live out of love for him. And as you do, you're going to be walking in the fear of the Lord. And you're going to do more out of love for him than if you just look at it as, here's a bunch of rules and regulations. Yes, we have the commands. We have the precepts. We have the instructions given to us. But as you read it, you say, Lord, I, just, I, I love you so much. I'm going to follow after you. And I'm going to be committed to you. And as you do that, as you have a heart that way, that is just growing in your love for him, verse 4, you find favor and high esteem in the sight of God. It pleases the Lord. It pleases him. A life that says, Lord, I'm going to be surrendered to you and I want to live for you because of my love for you. That brings such delight to the heart of God. That heart that just says, I want to draw close to you and grow in my love for you. Paul the Apostle, of course, in 2 Corinthians, that he's talking about his ministry and he says it's the love of Christ that constrains us or the love of Christ that motivates us. And what should motivate us in our lives to live for him is that love that we have for him. And as we do walk in that path of righteousness and in wisdom, we have high esteem with God, but also it's interesting, and man. And as I thought about that, I thought about two individuals in the Old Testament. One was Joseph. Remember Joseph? And Joseph was only a teenager when his brothers threw him into a pit, sold him off into slavery to Egypt. And there he's in Egypt. And and God's hand was on Joseph. And even though he was still a teenager in his upper teens, that Potiphar, who was an official uh, to, to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, that it was Joseph that was given to be the, the, the highest steward in the house and trusted everything to Joseph. And Joseph is there, and he has godly wisdom, and, and it is noticed by Potiphar. But then as Joseph is there, Potiphar's wife began to entice him, began to tempt him. And finally she got rid of all the other servants, and they were alone. And she grabbed Joseph and said, lie with me. And what was the response of Joseph? How can I do this great wickedness before my God? Why was Joseph able to do that? Because he had a love for God. And he walked in the fear of the Lord. That's a great definition of the fear of the Lord, isn't it? How can I do this great wickedness before my God? And it's an illustration of of a truth that Paul gives to us in the New Testament to young Timothy. He said, flee useful lusts. 
Just get out of there. Geography. And that's what Joseph did. He ran away, didn't he? And then you pursue righteousness and holiness. Whenever the Lord says you're to leave this, he, he tells us what to pursue. And that's what you and I are to pursue. So there's Joseph. He says, I can't do this great wickedness before my God. That's the way I want to respond when temptation comes or evil comes. That this is wrong. This, is, this hurts the heart of God. May we have a heart like that. So Joseph, he paid dearly for that. He would end up in prison for about 12 years. And there he continued to live a life that was pleasing to the Lord. He ministered to those prisoners. And then one day he gets a call. Pharaoh wants to see you. And he gets all cleaned up and he goes up and Pharaoh says, I heard that you can interpret dreams. And it was uh, Joseph that said, it's not me, it's God. And, And Joseph would interpret that dream for Pharaoh. And all of a sudden, in a matter of just, you know, a few minutes, he went from prisoner to prime minister. Because it was Pharaoh that said, there's no one that has more wisdom than you. And even though Joseph went through difficult days, God still honored him in his life and still worked in his life. He was still held in high esteem in the sight of God. And maybe you've stood for what is right and what is true. And maybe you've paid a price for it. Maybe in the workplace or with other family members or with old friends. And you stood for what is good and true. You're still held in high esteem with God. And he's going to honor you for that. Just as he did with Joseph. I think about Daniel. He was just a young teenager when he was taken off, you know, into captivity. And in chapter 1 of Daniel, he was determined not to defile Uh, himself with the king's meat and the king's wine. He said, I'm not going to. He determined in his heart. And may we have that determination now that we would say, Lord, I don't want to defile myself. Daniel said, I'm not going to drink your wine. And what is this meat? You know, is it pork, you know, sausage or what? I'm not going to eat it. But he desired to trust in the Lord and do what was right. And he was held in high esteem with Nebuchadnezzar, became Nebuchadnezzar's right-hand man in the Babylonian government, and then also under Darius at the end of his life under the Medes and the Persians. And it says that Daniel, that they perceived that he had an excellent spirit within him, that he was held in high esteem with men. Listen, I know that not all men are going to highest hold us in high esteem when we stand for the Lord. But they're going to see, I pray, that there's something different about us, and there are going to be those who will see that you have an excellent spirit because the same spirit that was in Daniel is the same spirit that is in you and I, the Holy Spirit. And God will honor you, not because Pastor Jeff says so, because the Word of God says so. And maybe some of you are here And you're at a crossroads of what path you're going to take. Is it going to be the way of the Lord or is it going to be your own way? Is it going to be the way of the world? And as you walk in obedience, the Lord will bless it. But he will not bless disobedience and compromise. That's for any of us in any area of our lives. And so here, as Solomon is writing this, he then writes, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, verse 5. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. A lot of us, that's one of the, uh, maybe a favorite verse of yours. It's one of my favorite verses. The trust in the Lord with all of your heart, not half-heartedly. Not with a divided heart. And not with a cold heart. But with all of your heart saying, Lord, I'm going to trust in you and I'm going to trust in your word and your commands given to me and how you want me to live. And I know that as I do, that you're going to be faithful to me to carry out your word, your promises, and that you're going to be there for me. And I don't have to lean on my own understanding. You see, I've said this before, but maybe you can kind of relate to it. I like to sometimes lean on my own understanding. I like to have a plan. I like to know what the end result's going to be, how it's going to work out, Lord. And whenever that I find myself in a situation where, okay, Lord, I know your word's telling me to do this, but how's it going to work out? What's going to happen? What's going to be the end result? How are you going to provide for me? And I love what this verse says. I can trust in him with all of my heart, and I don't have to lean on my own understanding. 
And I am so, so grateful that I can lean on him because his ways are much higher than my ways. His ways are so much better than than my ways. And I lean on him to allow him to work in my life. It was Jacob, as you read the book of Genesis, Jacob, the heel snatcher. Jacob is an interesting individual in the book of Genesis, isn't he? He was always conniving and sneaking around and making plans and manipulating, wasn't he? He was able to get the, the uh, birthright from his you know, brother Esau, just made him a bowl of stew and said, give me your birthright. And then he was able to deceive his father in receiving the blessing. And he went to great lengths to do that. I mean, he, you know, Esau, his name means Harry. He was a hunter, and he was the firstborn. He was about ready to receive the blessing. And it was Jacob that put hair on his arms and the back of his neck and, and went in, and his father couldn't see well. He was pretty much blinded by his elderly age and, and gave Jacob the blessing. And then Esau heard about it, and Jacob had to run for his life. He goes to Pandanaran. And there he ends up meeting Rachel and Leah and all that story that is before us. And, and after being 20 years in Pandanaran, and when he's there, he kind of met his match, his uncle Laban. And Laban, they were always going back and forth and, you know, negotiating. And, and that was Jacob, heel snatcher, deceiver, always negotiating, always trying to pull, you know, a plan out. Always had something up his sleeve and, and see how it's going to work out. And then one day, he has to leave Pandanaran and come back to his home. And he's with his family He's got all his sons, his daughters, huge flocks of animals. They're coming down the hill that comes down that is today Jordan, the brook Jabbok. He gets word that his brother Esau is coming at him with 400 men. He's full of great fear. He doesn't know what to do, so he separates his family in two. He figures if half of them get killed, at least half of them will be alive. And he finds himself alone at the brook Jabbok. And all of a sudden, the Lord sneaks up on him and begins to wrestle with him. And they're wrestling all night long. You know the story, don't you? And in Jacob, it says that, as Hosea tells us with many tears, that I won't let you go till you bless me. You see, Jacob at that time, he felt like he couldn't go forward. Here comes Esau. He couldn't go back as Laban said, if you come back, I'll kill you. And all of a sudden, he couldn't come up with the plan. All of a sudden, he couldn't lean on his own understanding. And all of a sudden, the Lord came up and began to wrestle with him. And the Lord said, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. And you know that the Lord knew his name, but he had to admit, I'm Jacob. I'm heel snatcher. I'm the deceiver. Uh, I'm the one that's resourceful. I'm, I'm the guy that uh, the firms on Wall Street would love to hire because I'm a great salesman. And, and uh, you know, I'm just a conniver. I'm sneaky and, and all of this. That was Jacob. I'm Jacob. And the Lord said, no. You're now going to be called Israel. Which means governed by God. And he touched the hip of Jacob and it came out of socket. And that would be very painful. And it says that Jacob had to walk on a cane, lean on that cane from that point on. You see, his walk wasn't the same. And in our lives, when we come to that point of, I'm going to trust in the Lord with all of my heart and lean not on my own understanding. And I'm going to acknowledge you in all my ways. And you will, not my direct my paths. And that we learn to lean on him. Just as Jacob had to lean on that cane. Because he wants us to be called Israel, governed by him. Governed by God. And you know what happens when we do that? You will go through times of brokenness. And it's in those times of brokenness, in those times where you're just kind of wrestling with the Lord, Lord, I'm wrestling with this thing. But when you come to the point of, Lord, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me, that you're going to see that he is going to bless you. But oftentimes, listen, that blessing will come through the brokenness of your life and surrender to him. 
that, Lord, I'm going to lean on you. And I'm going to be called Israel, governed by God. And you will see that he will direct your path. And the implication is, is a good path. Trust in him. And even though you might be looking at a situation where you're going, how's it going to work out in six months? How are you going to provide? Lord, how am I going to have the strength to be able to do this? You lean on him. And some of you may be wrestling with some things here tonight. That's okay because God's going to win. The Lord's going to win as you just continue to look to him. And as you walk with him. And he wants you to get to that point of surrender. Lord, you touch me, and I want to be Israel, governed by you. And I know that as I do that, I may not understand how it's all going to work out practically, what's going to happen next month or next year or whatever, but I know your word is true, and I will acknowledge you in all of my ways, and you will direct me down a straight path, a smooth path. That's what it means here, literally in the Hebrew. And I know that it's going to be a path of blessing and abundant life because your promises are true. Well, why don't we stop there tonight? So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for, Lord, just this book and the promises that are here. And, Lord, I just want to to pray for us here tonight, having the privilege of, of hearing your word, And considering these things, how important wisdom really is. Godly wisdom. And Lord, we know that it's a work of the Spirit in our lives. Even as we will talk about on Sunday, as Jesus talks about loving our enemies and praying for those who hurt us and persecute us and blessing them, we can't do that in our own strength. We need you, Lord. We need you, a surrender to you and a trusting in you. Father, first of all, I just want to pray for anybody who may be here. Maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. He is the one that will bring eternal life to you. He is your salvation. There is none other. And if you're here tonight, Jesus Christ came and died for you and for your sins. Because the gospel message is this that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus went to the cross, the one who lived a perfect life, the Son of God, and he died for your sins. All of your sins were placed upon him, and he made atonement for your sins as he shed his blood on that cross so that you can have forgiveness. There's no other way to forgiveness except to surrender to him. And to know that Jesus was then put into a grave and he rose again. There's no body in the tomb. It's empty. Because he conquered sin and death. And as you cry out to him for forgiveness and salvation and right relationship with the Father. That he will forgive you. And he will come and live inside of you. And make you a new creation. Give you a new heart. A new beginning. And you can walk in the newness of life. But it takes turning to him and trusting him for salvation and a surrender to him. That's why the Bible says repent. Repent means change direction. Turn to Jesus. He loves you so much. He wants to save you. And if you are here tonight and you've never done that, if you were to die tonight and you don't know if you're going to go to heaven, you don't know if you have the assurance of heaven, what would happen to you, get right with God tonight. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if you believe or confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That means anything to anyone here tonight. Will you pray right now, right where you are, that Jesus, I come to you a sinner. I confess that I have sinned, and I ask that you would forgive me because you died for my sins on that cross. I believe that. And I believe that you're alive because you rose from the grave. I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for forgiving me. And Lord, help me to know you and to live for you and to walk in this newness of life 
Thank you for this new beginning that I have. Thank you for saving me. I now give my life to you. I surrender to you. In Jesus' name. And if anybody that is here, if you're out in a coffee shop, or will you come and pray with me after the service? Or um, if you're listening on live stream or listening to this message on the radio later, will you call the church? Tell us the decision you made because we want to bless you and encourage you. But while we got a, a few moments here for all of us, maybe there's some area of your life, whatever it might be, that you just struggle with giving it completely to the Lord. And you're not trusting Him. Or maybe it's just difficult. The temptations are hard. You wonder how, what's going to happen, Lord, if, if I do walk according to your word. I, I know what it says, but I'm having a hard time. Will you right now, right now allow him to just touch your heart and to say, I want to be Israel governed by you, not by my fleshly tendencies, not by what culture says, not what the world is screaming at me, but by you, Lord. Because I know your paths are right and it will lead to a life of blessing and abundance, of peace joy inexpressible I want to be surrendered to you but help me Lord because I can't do it I don't want to lean on my own understanding but trust in every area maybe it's an attitude of heart maybe it's an area uh, of life that you're struggling with maybe it's being obedient in some way whatever the case may be give it to the Lord right now he knows it anyway and ask for help because he's so merciful and graceful. He loves you. And as we have learned on Sunday morning, that when he commands you to do something, he's going to enable you and empower you to do it as you yield to him. He's going to empower you by the Holy Spirit working in your life day by day, moment by moment, to give it to him. And Father, I pray for those who are praying, who need a touch from you, and even if it means brokenness, brokenness from pride and self-reliance and worldliness, the Lord lean on you and trust in you and acknowledge you in all of our ways. Lord, just minister your love and your help to those who need help. Because we do. We can't live a life for you and go down the right path in our own strength. We need you to direct us. Lord, bless your people here tonight. I thank you that we're here, the work that you're doing in the hearts of your people. Your word touching our hearts. May we go out of this place rejoicing because you love us and forgiveness is available as we just confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, that we can walk out of here knowing that we belong to you. May we live in your love, just loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, Lord, thank you. Bless everyone here now as we leave this place. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.